let's uh, do the peace chant om bhadram karne be shrinuyama deva bhadram pashe makshabhirya jatra sthirai rangai stushtvagam sastanu bhihi vyashema devahitai yadayuh swastina indro vridhashravah swastina pusha vishvavedah swastina starksho arishtanemih swastino brihaspatir dadhatu om shanti 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 so we have entered the second chapter of the mandukya karika in this text there are four chapters the second chapter tries to prove the falsity of the world with the help of uh, reasoning logic that brahman alone is real the world is an or the universe is an appearance and you are brahman this is the central teaching of vedanta advaita vedanta so that second part uh, the world is an appearance appearance of what of brahman or in the mandukya scheme of things the fourth aspect of the self waking dreaming deep sleep that is the universe your waker's universe this one and your dream world and your um, deep sleep all of them take it taken together is the mandukya way of saying universe and this is an appearance of consciousness in consciousness this appearance um, this is called falsity actually when it is put that way it doesn't seem very difficult to prove when you say waking dreaming and deep sleep are appearances in consciousness actually if you understand it that way it should be fairly obvious what else can they be because they are experienced in consciousness all right here uh, so the way godapada approaches is it is um, he will give um, arguments to prove the falsity of the world he will show it from experience and of course he will remind us this is what the upanishads themselves are saying this is the way uh, philosophy is done in the in vedanta shruti yukti anubhuti shruti means relevant quotations from the upanishads yukti means uh, reasoning anubhuti means experience uh, what in your experience backs up this claim that the world is an appearance now how does he propose to go about it he wants to use dream as an example Uh, to prove the falsity of not of dreams because the d- dreams are dreams we we regard them as false anyway don't we just say oh it was just a dream which means we don't regard take them seriously we don't take them to be real or as real as the waking state but he is going to use the dreams as an example to prove the falsity of the waking state of the waking universe i uh, remember last time i mentioned um that the indian logic requires an example the form of argument or to put it technically the form of the syllogism in indian logic requires an example what do i mean by that the way argument is done in nyaya philosophy the, in the uh, by the log- logicians in india is this i want to prove that there is fire on the the classic example fire on the hill top i want to prove that there is fire on the hill top so what's the way to go about it 
the form will be like this there is fire on the hilltop because of smoke because i see smoke on the hilltop um just like we saw in the kitchen wherever there is smoke there is fire hence there is fire on the hilltop so this is actually there are five statements there five uh, five uh, steps but basically the form is this there is fire on the hilltop because of smoke wherever there is smoke there is fire just like the kitchen that just like the kitchen it's an example where both of us agree that we saw fire and smoke together now we are seeing only smoke and we are inferring fire similarly we the, we have to provide an example where everybody agrees we saw falsity after all here we are not trying to prove fire on the uh, hilltop what are we trying to prove here falsity where in this waking world that this entire waking experience this universe is false is an appearance so what is what is it that you are trying to prove like fire what is it here falsity like on the hilltop where are we trying to prove falsity the waking world the the world of our waking experience which we take to be real normally we are trying to prove that it's actually false then um, what is the relationship which we are using what is the um, like wherever there is smoke there is fire so we have to give a reason here and that's what we're going to come to but what about the example see i'm plugging in the different components of the argument so what about the example the example they used was the kitchen in the kitchen you have seen fire and smoke together what are the, what is the example that godapada wants to use here like like your dreams your dream world where you have seen a world and falsity together world and falsity together you experienced a world in your dreams and when you wake up and you say that oh it was a dream everything i saw in the dream is false because it's it's a dream so the dream example will be used here but the logic has not yet the reason has not yet been given in the fire and smoke example we proved that there is fire on the hill by what reason by the reason of smoke wherever there is smoke there is fire now we have to prove for wherever there is x there is falsity what is that x what is that reason we have to give wherever there is something what is the mark of falsity what shows what points to falsity we have to show that before coming to the real crux of the uh, of the presentation what gaudapada did in the first four verses first three verses was to show that dreams are false because we are going to use dreams as an example let's make sure that we are on the same page that everybody agrees that dreams are false somebody might at the end of the presentation say but dreams are true then uh, the whole effort will be wasted <laughs> so uh, first of all gaudapada makes sure that we are all on the same page that we agree dreams are false we normally take dreams to be false but gaudapada makes sure by asking why do you take dreams to be false nobody really gives it much thought we say it's a dream that's why we don't take so he he gives reasons uh, like you know uh, space is contradicted as sufficient space is not there time is contradicted and then uh, your experience when you wake up you are not at the place where you are dreaming of so it's so, such things several um, things he gives multiple ways of convincing us that dreams are actually false we don't require convincing but uh, um he still argues it out 
Now he has started in the um, fifth verse, which we read last time. He has come to the real, uh, the substance of this chapter. What is his argument? Why is this world false? Why is this world false? The fifth verse. Uh, we have already done it last time, right? I mean, I've introduced it. So, Swapna Jagarita Sthane Yeka Mahur Manishinaha Bhedanam Hi Samatvena Prasiddheneva Hetuna. The different entities which are seen in the waking state and in the dream state, they are the same. They are equally false. Or they are false. Why? The wise people say they are false. Why are they false? Because they share that same reason for falsity. Both of them. What is that reason? That's what we are waiting for eagerly. After all, he's going to going to prove that this experience, world we experience, which we hold most dear, uh, which is most important to us. This is our world. And he's going to prove it to be false. And he says, because of the well-known reason. Because of that, that well-known reason. What is that well-known reason? And Shankara says, uh, the well-known reason is, is, it's quite devastating for us. Because he says, because you see it. Now, this is something so um, stunning for us. We don't think in that way. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Whatever uh, a thing is false because it's an object of experience, which is very strange. What do you mean a thing is false because it's an object of experience? We normally think that a thing is true because it's an object of experience. I see this and I assume this is true. People are here in the class. I am here. It's all true. He says, no, because it's uh, uh, an object of experience. So we need to break this down. What does it mean? You see, what is falsity? It brings us to the question of what is falsity. In Vedanta, falsity means dependent reality. A thing which is not real in itself, but seems to be real, it borrows its reality from something else. It does not exist by itself. Come. So it's a thing which uh, borrows its existence from some other thing. In that sense, all the things in the dream are false. You know, if you if you note your dream experience carefully, what do you do when you wake up? Oh, it was a dream, meaning thereby all those things I saw outside, I thought they were outside, they were actually in me, it was all in my mind. All those places I thought I visited, that was all in my mind. All those people I met, all those events which happened, good or bad, it's all in my mind. All those things which I thought outside, independent of with me, which I interacted with in the dream, they were actually projections of my mind. That's why I say it's a dream, it's false. Because it is an object, dependent on my mind, not actually existing apart from my mind. It's my mind alone which I was experiencing in all those uh, forms. And I thought they were separate objects. That's why I thought they were real. Now I know they are all in my mind. So I say it's a dream. Similarly, he says, look at our worldly experiences. All things in the world depend upon you, the experiencer. What do you mean? See, to say something exists in the world 
it must be an object of experience. So not necessarily things can exist even if I don't see them, even if you don't experience them but or somebody else has to experience or in principle it should be experienceable. If it is somebody that something that neither you nor I, nobody has ever experienced, seen, heard, smelt, touched, thought about, conceived of, spoken of, imagined, if it has nowhere entered our experience, see even something like Harry Potter which is a which is fiction but still it is within our experience so it has a fictional existence you can still talk sensibly about harry potter that um, you know such and such thing happened but if it is something which has nowhere ever entered anybody's experience and in principle it cannot be experienced suppose you say then you cannot even speak about it even in mathematics, it should in science, it should be at least predictable or understandable by mathematics or something. Maybe not detectable by our instruments. It should be an object of experience in some sense. If, if it is so, then it leads to a very interesting conclusion that you cannot speak about the existence of any entity independent of experience. And if this is, you are begin, you get at least, and these things can be contested, but at least the idea is, um, if you've got the idea, then you'll say, so what? If it cannot be spoken of as existing apart from our experience, note that experience depends upon the experiencer. And the experiencer is an experiencer only by virtue of being conscious, aware, sentient, whatever you call it. Ultimately, the existence of every entity ultimately depends on consciousness, on awareness, on sentience. This is the argument. Uh, come, come. Yes. But Swamiji, we, we all know, we all see you, everyone in this room knows that you are here. Yes. Um, so doesn't that in a way prove that you are here because I see you? Yes. And doesn't it, even if I didn't see you, they would all see you. Yes. So. So. <laughs> so. So that means are you, that you are here. Ah, okay. Now, there are two things here. One is, clearly if you see me, what they are trying to say is, if you see me, I am something that is revealed by your consciousness. Yes. Right? Even if you do not see me, they are seeing me. I'm something that's revealed by, by their consciousness. And that's the reason why we say that, all right, this guy is existing here. But what they want to say is that because I am revealed by your consciousness and other than consciousness, there's no way of speaking about me, right? Because unless I am seen by somebody or heard of by somebody or somebody knows about me, there's no point in speaking of this entity. I mean, who knows that I exist? It, it must. If I exist, I exist in somebody's experience somewhere. Yeah. If I, that goes to show that the experience, that this object which you are seeing now, is dependent on your consciousness. It cannot be proved or sensibly talked about without reference to consciousness. Everything that you see now. Your question is something different. Your question is, isn't it true that you exist? Because we all see you here. Right? So, now, the thing is, in Vedanta, 
a thing is supposed to is is understood to be false not real if it has no independent existence in a dream when we see somebody we think it's there so that's the proof i'm seeing somebody but when i wake up i say that was false why because that somebody was not there outside me it was in my mind from the dreamer's perspective from the dream perspective it seems to be real because there's a separate person when you wake up you realize that thing which you saw the person you saw has no existence apart from your mind which dreamt up that person it has a dependent existence on your mind that means it's your mind basically which has made up that thing now so right now from a waker's perspective in this waking world it is very much right to say that this is real because i see it because i see it outside myself independently of myself i see we are all seeing this person separately from you so it seems real that i am here this is from your perspective as a waking person but because it's you do i don't seem to be in your mind i seem to be outside your mind that's why you you say that i am real from the waker's perspective i am real because i seem to be experienced outside you now take the perspective of consciousness awareness just aware of everything like you are aware of yourself also aren't you aware of yourself so you are aware of yourself you are aware of the contents of your mind from that perspective come 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 here from that perspective let me ask you a question am i this person in your consciousness or outside it am i not in your awareness yes, yes. and can you ever experience me other than with uh, outside your awareness without awareness can you experience me no. no anything to be experienced has to be within awareness has to be experienced in awareness why i seem to be outside you is because when the awareness is very much rooted in the body i place myself locate myself in the body immediately everything else seems to be outside the body so i say that's a real thing out there i see it i smell it i touch it i taste it i can think about it outside me that's because i'm taking a body perspective are you with me Sim- in the same way try to take an awareness perspective how do you take an awareness perspective instead of standing here make this like that i am standing in awareness in which the world is also experienced this body is also experienced inside me this body the mind is also exp- all of these are experienced in awareness and the example is the waker's mind in relation to the dream world let me repeat that again <clears throat> that's why the dream example is so important in your dream in the dream example dream example from your perspective now when you look back upon your dream there are two of you in hindi you put it this way swapna drashta or swapna purush swapna drashta means the seer of the dream and swapna purush means the person in the dream what is the person in the dream you were there in your own dream you were there in your own dream right mm-hmm. and you are seeing many things and the seer of the dream is different from the person in the dream who is the seer of the dream you the waker you you saw the dream 
It's you who claim it was my dream. Now that person in the dream, this is the most important, that person in the dream is different from you, the seer of the dream, and that person was in you. You, the seer of the entire dream, included the person in the dream, who you thought you were when you were experiencing the dream. In the same way exactly, that's an example, in the same way exactly, in place of the person in the dream, put the waking person, you. In place of the waking person, that means the seer of the dream, put consciousness, awareness. This awareness which you are experiencing right now. Wait, step back from the person you think yourself to be into the this global awareness in which the entirety of right you're getting some of you you're getting it I can see by the smiles yes you have a question no so um, I'm observing myself observing you yes is that what we're trying to achieve no a little one step further back you just used a a language I'm observing myself observing you right which means you're observing both yourself the person and me that person and me both of us are in your consciousness the one which is doing all this observing right that consciousness you are and the entirety of the universe which you experience in the waking including you the person and me who you are observing we are all in your awareness if you are in your awareness and we cannot be experienced other than your awareness then we our existence is dependent entirely on your awareness just stay with that fact. Terms, just wait. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Don't jump into it. It's like going to class in um, uh, physics and cosmology and learning about superstring. So, in practical terms, how does it help me? It means a tremendous thing for you. It is finally the end. First of all, it is the end of all your practical life. <laughs> Your life is just finished if you, re- if you realize this. In another sense, you are really beginning to live after this. You are free of that little person. Tremendous. It means moksha, enlightenment. It means if you practically, if you even begin to get it, you are a Buddha. Right away, right now. Mandukya Godapada says at the end, end of all of this, that you are Adi Buddha. You are the, you are the original Buddha. Now, okay. So we are trying to prove the falsity of things. So the example used here is dreams and the reason given here is just as things are seen in the dream and they are false, similarly things are experienced in waking and they are false. Why are the dreams false? Because they are not anything other than the mind which dreams them. Why are all of these false? Because they are not anything other than consciousness. Not, not the person who is seeing them. They are clearly other than the person who is seeing them. But both you, the person, and the thing which you see, both are a- appearing in the consciousness which you are. And they cannot appear without that consciousness. Imagine that consciousness is not there. Imagine if I am not there in the room, you are still there. If these objects are not there in the room, you are still there. If the room completely disappears, but you, the person, are still there, even if your body disappears, you will be a bodiless mind. Even if all thoughts disappear, you are still there as awareness without any thoughts. But suppose that awareness disappears, then what is there? Nothing for you. Nothing. 
so the entirety of this physical un- of this waking universe is completely dependent on you the awareness are you beginning to see the way of thinking which godopad is going it's it's a pretty stunning <laughs> claim which he is making i'll come to you yes hmm. now you yeah. so you think um, in the dream i am a constructor of my mind myself i am a constructor the mind is a constructor of your dream i, I am in the dream and i am involved in the i well i i am a person in the dream yes correct but i am not really there no so i i'm actually a false person yes that person is a false person i'm a false person in the dream yes now in reality i am the same as in the dream in other words the construct of myself which i carry around all the time hmm. which uh, excites me and also makes me very crazy sometimes is not real either no so that's really the that's the main point then well the, the well, I mean, how would that yes but let's take it in a very simple way the person in the dream and every other thing that you see in the dream are actually not there you are with me are actually not there they are all your own mind you are actually sleeping on the bed just follow the facts as they as you know them to be you are actually on your bed and sleeping and your mind generates all of this now compare it with what you actually experience in a dream that you are in some place and you have a body and you're meeting with other people but when you wake up all of that is falsified why is it falsified because it has no existence apart from the mind which was dreaming it yeah. right so that's the example those things are false because they were dreamt up by a mind they did not exist apart from you which you it felt like it felt like they were things apart from me similarly now he wants to prove in this waking world it seems to be a real world apart from me it seems to be real but just like that those things do not uh, dream entities do not exist apart from the dreamer's mind these waking entities also do not exist apart from consciousness proof they cannot be experienced without consciousness they are clearly in consciousness yes i'll come to you yes so i'll come to you my Okay don't go go there now don't go there just look at it from the point of view of the witness consciousness from the point of view of witness consciousness this waking universe it cannot be experienced without that consciousness nothing can be experienced without that consciousness so the objects of consciousness must be in some sense dependent on that consciousness dependent existence is called falsity in vedanta which has no existence apart from its constituent underlying reality the dream is false because it has no existence apart from it underlying the dreaming mind question so the very first class we had we agreed that something only exists if we can either experience it or we can in theory experience it somehow yes if we can't it doesn't exist yes but now today we are saying that that particular definition effectively says everything that exists is false then what is true then everything is false yes what is true yeah. remember the story of the emperor janaka yeah. what what was the story he asked is this true or is that true what is true he came to this point and everything is false yes the the um, dream is false 
and the waking world is false. Then Janaka came to that exactly the same question. He asked Ashtabhakra, then is nothing true? Everything is false. And then what was Ashtabhakra's answer? Ah, that is, you are right, that's also false, this is also false, everything is false, you are correct. But that to which everything appears, that is the truth. What is that to which everything appears? You, you the consciousness, but not you the body-mind. Because the body-mind also appears to you the consciousness. Yes, you the experiencing consciousness are the one truth in which everything in the universe appears. Do you see what we did here? Different different theories of object and consciousness. Last time we saw. What does science say? Science says this objective world actually produces consciousness. How? Matter and space and time and energy are all that exist. Matter is organized somehow into planets. Some planets become uh, capable of supporting life. Matter becomes uh, living matter. Living matter evolves. And um, evolved living matter generates complex nervous systems and brains, a byproduct of which is this delicate phenomenon of consciousness. So consciousness is like a tiny flame in an otherwise dark universe of matter. So like that flame in the candle, like that, consciousness. So consciousness is produced by matter. This is the reductionist, materialist point of view. Ultimately, matter is the only thing that you are. As long as this candle of the body is alive, it will produce a little bit of consciousness and uh, that consciousness will have, will go about its life, loving, hating, gaining, losing, enjoying, suffering, having delusions of being pure consciousness and attending Vedanta class. <laughs> Ultimately, when old age comes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's comes and then uh, life support in the <laughs> Mount Sinai and then dead, buried, burnt, uh, whatever, gone. No more consciousness. Finished. That is the scientific materialist wor worldview. Uh, mainstream worldview today in the world today. Okay. Among um, uh, educated people. Yes. Uh, Swami, the way you said uh, that the mind generates the dream. Yeah. Is consciousness also generating this, view, this world out there? Projects. Or is it just yes. experiencing or is it doing both? And if it is actually generating it, isn't doesn't there have to be some kind of a stimuli to generate something? Uh -huh. Right. Consciousness, just these <coughs> these things appear in consciousness. That itself is called Maya. Now, does consciousness actually generate this world? Generate means cause and effect relationship. Gaudapada's answer will be no. Every bit of what you experience is consciousness. Consciousness at no, at no time generates anything other than itself. It is the very capacity of consciousness to experience itself in all these ways. Just as your mind in the dream does not actually generate people and places and events, whatever you experience in the dream, all the people, all the events, everything that happens in your dream, the entire story, is nothing but the you, the dreamer's mind. Every person there is your own mind. Every animal, plant, uh, sky, earth, fire, water, all of it is only your own mind. And it has not generated anything else. Mind is only mind there. Has it actually generated a planet and stars? And No, no, no. Yes. It just appears like that. Now, that's an example. Here, consciousness alone appears like that. Not only the waking world, actually dream world, deep sleep, they are all appearances in consciousness. What is reproduction? 
what about it? Because that we are reproducing other beings, so there's consciousness so. in other beings, right? What you have a child yes. reproducing, and that child has consciousness. Mm-hmm. So we are, you know, have you been facilitators have you been attending these classes? Not. Well, Not too regularly. No. Yeah. Okay. So. The whole point of this is, the materialist, reductionist point of view is we are bodies with consciousness. So when you say, we have children, what is your idea of yourself and the child? A body. I am a body with consciousness. I produce another body with consciousness. Vedanta is doing just the opposite. You are consciousness experiencing a body. What I'm trying to say is, that's why this, this thing is very important. This worldview is so deeply rooted in us. We may think of ourselves as spiritual inquirers, but actually we are among the grossest materialists. When you speak like that, basically what you are saying is, I'm a bit of mud with a little flame of consciousness. I produce other bits of mud with little flames of consciousness. Is it true? Suppose, in your dream, you uh, produce a child and the child has consciousness and all of that. When you wake up, what will happen? You, the child and all of that which happened in the dream turns out to be what? False. Turns out to be what? False. 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 Why? What were they made of? The mind. The mind, basically. Do you rush to get a birth certificate and all after waking up? No. Because you see, that was my mind. Clearly, you have no doubt about it. It was dreamt of. Now, in this world also, what Vedanta is trying to say, Gaudapada is trying to say, do you experience <laughs> consciousness as a body or do you experience a body as consciousness? Right now, look at yourself. Look at yourself. When you look at the hand, are you experiencing the hand or is the hand, are you, little bit, put it even more viscerally, are you seeing the hand or is the hand seeing you? I am. Doubts, still you have doubts. <laughs> you are experiencing the hand. The hand is an object of your experience. But not just the hand, other hand, leg, belly, chest, head, all of these are objects of your experience, in your experience. That's what Vedanta is trying to point. See, the materialist um, rooting of our way of thinking is so very deep. You know what the scientist would say or a materialist would say? No, no, no. We are the body which has generated consciousness and the body through consciousness is experiencing itself. I'll say, Are Baba, look at your own experience. <laughs> what are you experiencing now? Is the body experiencing consciousness or consciousness experiencing the body? You tell me. You say, how do we know? No, look at your own experience right now. What do you think is happening? What do you think is happening? Let's see what's happening now. Yes. Uh, so it seems like when I am conscious of this body and this mind, so I know, like I am aware of the contents, like I am happy, I am sad, I am aware of this happy mind, sad mind. Yes. But why am I? Uh, if this consciousness is same, why am I not aware of the other person's mind? 
Bring in your reflected consciousness now. She introduced a term called reflected consciousness. Do you remember Chidabhasa, reflected consciousness? The consciousness which you are using now in transaction right now is definitely the consciousness in your mind. This is not the background consciousness, the awareness which you feel right now. If that were the absolute, then you would be enlightened already. It is a reflection of your of the absolute in your mind. And that reveals only your mind. Just like the sun in the sky. It shines on many pots and the pots have water in them. And in each pot you will get a tiny reflected sun. Are you with me? And that reflected sun is specially shining and illumining the water in that pot. Now that sun is asking, if I am the source of all light, why can't I see the water in the other pots? Because you have not discovered yourself as the one sun in the sky shining down on all. The contents of the water in the pot, the contents of the mind are, reflect, are revealed to that reflected consciousness. In fact, it is that reflected consciousness which sees everything in the mind, through the mind experiences the body and through the body and mind experiences the world. That reflected consciousness is the person. What proof? Remember, that thing goes away when the mind stops. If you drain the water in the pot, that reflected sun will not be there. If you stop the mind, that reflected consciousness will not be there. Deep sleep. Pure consciousness is still there. I don't know it. If you knew it, then they wouldn't have to come to the class. <laughs> it's still there. And very obviously there, but we don't catch it. That's the whole joke of the thing. <clears throat> That's why you're in class. We're trying to, trying to realize ourselves as that. So, answer to your question is, why do I know, if I'm consciousness, one consciousness in every, all of them, why do I know the contents of only my mind? Because I am the reflected conscious. Right now, what I take to be consciousness is reflected in this particular mind, shines upon this mind and reveals it. It's the person. A similar thing, Gaudapada would of course use the dream example. Exactly a similar thing happens in the dream. You are a person in your own dream and you meet people and you don't feel that I am a telepath, I can read the minds of all the people my, people in the dream. No, I can't. In my dream, when I meet people, they seem as opaque to me as others seem in the waking state. When, we, when I wake up, I realize I was all of them. Okay. Then do you think Gaudapada Makali is dream? What? Makali is the manifested power that we worship Makali. Then to Gaudapada is false. Mm, yeah, the objective part of uh, part of Makali, the temple image, they are all of one consciousness. But that one consciousness is the real nature of Makali to Gaudapada. Okay. Very interesting though, you should bring it up. Because Gaudapada, there are two texts, actually three, four texts which are traceable to Gaudapada. Most famous is the Mandukya Karika. There is another text, you will be most surprised to know. It is a tantric text, a worship of the Divine Mother called Subhagodaya. I have got the text. It is a rare text, very complex text, Subhagodaya. It is a, a, a text on the worship of Divine Mother Kali, written by Gaudapada. <laughs> Which, is, which is, seems to be very strange for to be such a great non-dualist, yes. Anyway, now let me quickly summarize this uh, paradigm. We saw it last time, but it's good to keep it in mind and see if you understand it. It will answer the questions like you have raised straight away. So the materialist paradigm, scientific materialist paradigm is 
uh, object matter produces consciousness it's a body producing awareness consciousness through a brain just the opposite is theistic religion what is theistic religion christianity islam judaism um, or in hinduism we have vaishnavism shaivism shaktaism what is that what is uh, theistic religion god exists whatever you call it allah or shiva or kali or whatever you call it god exists so this consciousness with tremendous qualities omniscient omnipresent omnipotent this is what we call god and that consciousness creates actually generates a real universe so consciousness creates matter the objective universe that is theistic religion most theistic religion and you see um, uh, all the major theistic traditions of the world they will say consciousness generates matter another approach is found in the sankhya yoga paradigm in the sankhya or yoga philosophy they say the natural universe is independent just like whatever science says about it is completely accepted it generates like it, it may have come from the big bang they, they just call it prakriti nature and it's an independent real entity but it is neither produced by any god as science would agree on the other and the difference is this it does not produce consciousness consciousness is also an eternally real thing and the two things are parallelly existing the universe exists and consciousness also exists and it interacts how does it interact through bodies and minds the universe produces sophisticated machines what are these machines complex biological um, machinery this what they call it wetware <laughs> so like hardware but this is wetware because it's full of fluids and everything <laughs> so and consciousness can function through it uses the brains and nervous system like radio is used for tuning and catching um, already existing electromagnetic waves similarly consciousness can operate through this nervous system and uh, brain that's why it seems to the materialist that the brain and nervous system produces consciousness but consciousness exists as fundamental as time space matter and energy in the entire universe but it only manifests it seems to be evident in complex living creatures like us it doesn't seem to be evident in the um, table or the uh, rock or the pebble why because they don't have the the uh, the equipment which can tune into consciousness so consciousness is not produced by the nervous system and brain rather consciousness enters into this physical universe through the nervous system and brain it's like when you came in you all came in through the door now if i were a reductionist i would say the door has produced you <laughs> because i see you coming out of the door and going and disappearing into the door so the door is the source for all these people you say no the door has nothing to do with it it only allows me to enter and disappear so uh, but i have it's not 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 producing me so consciousness and matter are independent realities and the panpsychism proposed by uh, david chalmers and some modern philosophers is exactly this the very ancient sankhya idea of the fundamental nature of consciousness okay the buddhistic idea is 
they don't say what produces what they are not interested in that but what they basically say the conscious entity which you think yourself to be an entity is actually not an entity if you investigate yourself it's just some parts which have come together the conscious subject is actually empty they call it swabhava shunya or shunyata there there is no self nature there no uh, permanent existing nature there and what about the universe universe is also empty there is no permanent nature in any of it no self existent nature in any of it so subject is also empty object is also empty so a- emptiness shunyata on both sides now what are we trying to say what is gaudapada trying to say here gaudapada is saying here that the the consciousness which is self evident right now that itself experiences itself as an objective universe the entire objective universe all of it including this body including this mind this person all of it is appearing in consciousness it is not separate from consciousness it's different from theistic religion theistic religion says a real universe is produced by consciousness this says that the universe is not produced by consciousness this universe appears in consciousness appears in consciousness means the universe is false it has no existence apart from consciousness and godapada wants to say it's evident look at your own experience <clears throat> what is the ultimate reality this itself is the ultimate reality what it is only thing is we have conceived it in like a dreamer in a dream we have conceived it into separate fractured realities you are all separate i am a separate how are we separate i am a separate body separate person mind you are also separate i have my own little story and these stories and things are real and final advaita says they are not real and final they all depend upon the consciousness which is watching all of it without it this would disappear okay so this is the this is the and come to you this is the well known reason which shankaracharya says because consciousness itself experiences all what is the reason then put it in one word because it is an object of consciousness in sanskrit drishyatvat because of being an object drishyatvat an object of experience that itself is enough to falsify see just see how what a bombshell it is our normal way of saying something is real is because we experience it it's real and godapada here uses the argument because you experiences it's false you see how just like your dream you experienced it and it was false the falsity is built into the very nature of the experience if it is an object of your experience false but that you experienced the it is false but you experienced it that is not false this one uh, alan what no this uh, person uh, jim holt he puts it this he puts it in is talking in a different sense is talking about whether mathematics itself can generate a universe so the title of the chapter is it from bit <laughs> bit is bit of in, uh, in computer science and it is this universe so it from bit <laughs> 3d printing huh 3d printing 3d printing yes actually a print so it's a, like a 3d printout of <laughs> of the platonic realm of numbers that's what he wants to say uh, that's one one theory i'll come to you you had a question so you said that according to the sankhya yoga mm. uh, prakrit 
Prakriti is the universe and you are Purusha, consciousness. Then what is Param Prakriti? That, is the term there in uh, Sankhya and Yoga? No. But tantra is. In Tantra. Not in Sankhya. Yeah, but yeah. What, what is that? Para Prakriti will be the Divine Mother. Like, uh-huh. okay. like what, what, that again becomes this theistic religion. Yeah. Yes. Universe. Now, uh, in Buddhism, there is no such possibility because we are not saying anything exists versus uh, anything not existing. Both are, for the sake of this, void. Mm. But in Advaita, we are saying the universe is consciousness itself appears as the universe. Yes. Therefore, the universe is not a real entity. Right, but if I have to. Somehow, still know if the, if at all there is a time scale, what would Advaita respond to it? I mean, theism, theism is responding to it by saying consciousness precedes the universe. Now, when you say uh, it is consciousness itself appearing as the universe, hmm. how would we uh, put it on a time scale? Yes. Advaita would be very uh, would be very simple. Direct answer in Advaita is: Is time experienced by consciousness, or is consciousness experienced by time? Time is clearly experienced by consciousness. So time is also in consciousness. Time, this object includes time, space and object. Desha, Kala, Vastu. All of it appears in consciousness. So according so, to theism, time is not in consciousness. According to theism, time, uh, space, these are fundamentals. They are not in consciousness, but they are produced by God. Even time and space would be produced by God. So that's so the time and space in this theism uh, statement will be where the arrow is? Well, here. Or maybe arrow also, yeah, you could put it there. But, uh, but generally, if you say in principle, all of it would be here, an object. Time, space, causation, and the objective universe. Mm-hmm. But, but God of religion is beyond that. Beyond that, yes. God is beyond. God, God is, that's why I say God is eternal, beyond, beyond time and space. Yes. So, science seems to be very good at explaining the world of objects. Yes. Laws, etc. Right. But because they are looking objects outside consciousness, they will never ever find consciousness if they maintain that, that paradigm. Correct. And it mm-hmm. seems that, that so my, my curiosity is then, if consciousness requires a complete different paradigm, then consciousness itself may have also complete different laws. And I'm curious, uh, like for example, you just mentioned time and space appear in consciousness. So for people who are truly enlightened, and I'm, I'm reading various books and, and willing completely to accept what the truth is, what they describe, they do fantastic things, like they see what will happen to someone uh, in the future, or they know that somebody will be ill, or they can cure people, and that seems to be then the realm of complete different, that seems to be subject to complete different laws that we can never ever explain. Uh, explain, um, stick to our own paradigm. Would, would you say that that's correct? All right, a number of issues which you have raised. Let me quickly touch on them. The science is very good at def- uh, talking about the world of objects. You're right there. And one way it has come to do that is leave the consciousness out of it. Yeah. So being objective is seen as a value in science. It's the it's not being objective is a dirty word. And Advaita Vedanta is just the opposite. Mm-hmm. 
Objectivity is the sign of falsity. A thing is a lie because it's an object. If you're being objective, you're a liar. <laughs> that, that's what Advaita says. I mean, literally it comes to that. And in Advaita, from Advaitic perspective, it is backed up by your own experience. Okay. Uh, but science works because when you're dealing with the world of objects, it can get messy if you introduce the subject into it. So if you keep the subject out of it and do science, science works wonderfully. And that's how we see the value of being objective has come out there. Um, if you hold on to this paradigm, eliminate the subject from your study, then when you are trying to study the subject, mind and consciousness, you are, you are in principle bound to end up with severe difficulties. And that's exactly what is happening now. Will science ever come around to understanding consciousness? Yes, it will have to relax its uh, parameters, its, its uh, understanding of what is scientific inquiry. If it is strictly objective, eliminating the subject always, then you cannot, you cannot eliminate the subject when you are studying the subject. It's like I want to study gravity without ever studying gravity. You can't eliminate the subject, what you are going to study, the topic of your investigation, remove that and then study it. No. And in fact, uh, it's not I who am saying it. I attended a, uh, a seminar recently, a very famous philosopher, Tim something, I, f I forget. He gave a talk in NYU. The whole thing was behaviorism uh, and psychologism in, in, uh, in the philosophy of mind. And he says that this whole idea of objectivity, the value which we have imported from science into philosophy also, into psychology, has led to things like behaviorism in, in America, for example, B.F. Skinner and others that all of you I can explain uh, what, whatever a person is, I can explain through your behavior. I don't need to know what your thoughts are, what kind of person you are. Your behavior alone is so Skinner's behaviorism and all. Now, what the conclusion in that, that other topic or the theme of that presentation was this behaviorism has become a stumbling block in our understanding of the mind now. Now that we are seriously trying to study mind and this hard problem of consciousness has come up and we are trying to study it, our whole approach has become a stumbling block for us. Because our approach, this, this is the approach. So in order to understand consciousness, you must go back to the object. So our whole paradigm is to understand consciousness, we have to understand the brain and how it is linked to the brain. It's like saying, in order to know you as a person, I must understand the door you have come through. At the most, what can I find, find out from about you from the door? That maybe you walk on the ground, your height cannot exceed that much, that door by too much, or your width. That much I can find out about you. But you as a person, I know almost nothing about you when I look at the door. So looking at the brain, we're trying to understand consciousness. So that paradigm has to be relaxed. And maybe it will be. If it is relaxed, then science will find out interesting things about mind. But finding out interesting things about mind is also not the same as arriving at Advaita. Mind is also part of the uh, the objective universe, according to Now, what you said, extraordinary capacities um, that you find in the Yoga Sutras, there's a whole chapter on them, the third chapter of the Yoga Sutra, I think, Vibhuti Pada, which deals with a variety of extraordinary powers. Now, they do not say it's a different realm altogether. They say it is definitely within the objective realm, except that it's not the strictly objective realm which is defined by science now. It is actually... Uh, little expanded objective realm which includes the subtle body also. 
but definitely there are laws and it can be understood and they all they would the yogis would say we don't see why in principle that science cannot get to it we mean science can get to it if you expand your area of investigation but i want to emphasize this gaurapada and the mandukya and this is way beyond supernatural abilities and uh, uh, what you call siddhis that means uh, supernatural powers supernormal powers this is the final conclusion about the universe and ourselves this is the highest teaching It has nothing to do with occult powers right yes those are interesting aspect do you come across them when you come into spiritual life all right um so one day we'll come across it definitely i think science will also come across it and swami vivekananda said there is nothing supernatural about those powers they are well within this natural universe except that we have not investigated them and they seem supernatural to us a well known science fiction writer said i think arthur c clark any sufficiently advanced technology will seem like magic he said so sufficiently ad- advanced yogic technology will seem like supernatural power to the rest of us but for them it is perfectly explainable you can do it in these ways i have myself seen some people which you cannot just explain in any way and straight away one person just read my thoughts and told me straight away just i asked well, what what is my, what am i thinking right now tell me he told me <laughs> took exactly split second looked at me and told me exactly what i was thinking <laughs> so uh, it is possible all right so this is the first reason yes i'm not sure whether you answered the question that he raised this stimuli part huh. you know like when in a dream there's a stimuli there has to be some stimuli for the dream yes and when you take it to the consciousness and the waking world is there something similar this we have already come across in the first chapter do you remember why are why is this universe there at all do you remember yes the various theories of creation of the universe these are all theories of creation of the universe actually what does advaita say most important the universe has not been created it's not a separate thing it is being experienced in consciousness you might still ask why is it being experienced in consciousness pure consciousness could just remain as it is without experiencing a universe let it be within consciousness let it be a false universe you could just have dreamless sleep why dream at all we dream because our mind has many inputs from the waking state which come out somehow in our dreams that's why we dream that's why our dreams have certain patterns to them also so why does this universe come up and in this way and the answer given in advaita is maya which is not much of an answer gaurapada's answer is it is the very nature of this consciousness to shine forth in this these ways alan watts put it this way he says this is the idea of leela in bhakti leela is the play of god so it is the play the creativity the inexhaustible outpouring of consciousness in these ways and if you are playing if you are if playing also has a dual meaning of acting so when you play or act one thing you do not do is you don't you are not yourself if you bring yourself into your acting you have to be something else in your acting you have an actor has to be actor doesn't play himself so you have to be something else in your acting that's what i'm giving alan what I, i really liked the way he put it 
So when consciousness plays at being the world, it will appear as everything except consciousness. <laughs> when you are projecting, when you are appearing, one thing which will not be there in the appearance is the reality. This is saying the reality never appears and appearance is never reality. What appears is not real and what is real is never what is real never appears. So Gaudapada's final answer to this, because these are very deep questions, why is there in this experience at all? Gaurapada's answer is, first of all, there is no universe. It is consciousness alone. You still say, then why in this way? You'll, you'll say, this is the very nature of consciousness to shine forth. Why in this particular way? Then you use your religion, karma, science to explain why this particular way and not any other way. But why at all the whole thing? That is the answer of Gaurapada is because of consciousness, because of you. Yes, I've, yes I, I have said this earlier also. So if you ask this why, ultimately why? Why is there a universe? Why can't Brahman remain without creating a universe? Creating all sorts of trouble for us. Um, the answer, if, if you look at these, the answers will be different in each one. But in this Advaita, what is the answer? answer is that Brahman did not project this, or did not create the universe. It's an appearance in Brahman. It looks like that. If you still persist, why does it look like that? It could have been nothing. It could have just been consciousness without any object. And there are different answers to that. One answer is what Vivekananda himself said. The question itself is wrong. And you say, that might be a way of shutting me up. But I can persist like a child. I can say, why is it wrong? Like he said, why, when you ask, this is why it's wrong. Why? When you are asking a question, what are you asking actually? You are asking for an explanation. You are asking for an explanation. Are you, are you with me? Please walk with me. Yes, you are asking for a cause, an explanation. Explanation means a cause. Why is the ground wet? Because it rained. Because. Look at the language. Because it rained. You are asking for a cause. Now that works very well within the universe. Though I don't understand quantum mechanics, but it seems that it sort of breaks down when it comes to the quantum level. But anyway. In Advaita, it breaks down because, say again, because. <laughs> causation itself is part of this universe, is part of the appearance. Only after the universe appears, you can talk about causes, cause effect. But the universe itself, what is its link to Brahman? The answer is no link at all. You cannot ask Brahman, why are you projecting this universe? Because Brahman will say, I am not. I am not projecting any universe. I am what I am. It's so di directly from the Bible. I am what I am. Or I am that I am. Wait, let me um, finish this thought. So, um, cause and effect, they come uh, after Maya. In fact, Maya is defined as space-time causation. Now, if I ask you, what is outside space? You will say the question itself is wrong. Why? Because when you say outside, outside, inside, you have already accepted space. These make sense only in space. If I ask you, what is before time? You will say the question is wrong. Why? Because before and after mean time. You have already accepted time. Then only you can ask, talk about before and after. Similarly, if I ask you, why causation? 
you should say the question itself is wrong because why this makes sense only if there is causation but this causation time space and causation are projection of in fact why vivekananda drew a diagram brahman universe in between he wrote maya and what is maya time space causation so this is uh, yes what you said another beautiful answer i i saw which is which is psychologically satisfying different answer to the same question because this is a really most fundamental question um is was given by one swami called akhandananda saraswati he puts it this way the nature of consciousness is to experience right and there is nothing else except consciousness and yet consciousness itself cannot be an object of experience when consciousness tries to experience itself which is impossible it will experience and yet it cannot be experienced the result will only be error the result will only be error and this error is maya and the example he gives is very beautiful the nature of your eyes is to see and the nature of space is not to be seen hmm? so when you look out into empty space into the sky you cannot see it but it will appear to you as an inverted bowl it looks like a surface when you look at the sky it looks like a surface there is no surface there it looks like that why because the nature of your eyes is to see and the nature of space is not to be seen it cannot be it's not an object which can be seen by your eyes when you look up at the sky you will see it it's like a blue inverted bowl children think it's like a sky is a blue bowl and like up to the horizons it's an illusion exactly like that you are consciousness you are bound to experience your very nature is to experience and yet there is nothing else to experience except yourself so when you experience yourself which cannot be experienced you experience it as a limited universe how do you experience it the immortal existence sat is experienced as birth and death creation and destruction an ever changing universe the consciousness chit is experienced as jada non conscious object pure subject is experienced as object and bliss itself ananda you are bliss itself you experience yourself as a world of pleasure and pain and in this experience you who are satchidananda you keep chasing yourself chasing yourself means you're trying to experience yourself you're trying to find immortality you're trying to find you know infinite existence infinite knowledge infinite happiness satchidananda you are that that's why you're trying to find it so there is poetic idea of yourself and your experience of the universe should we go ahead okay ask your question yes yeah but this, this is an important uh, point in the whole chapter that's why i'm get, giving so much time to them yeah go on ask the question you said so chit is it's seen as jar or object yes so what did you say about sat sat is cha- seen as changing universe the unchanging existence is seen as change changing universe means birth and death production and destruction that which is never subject to production and destruction never subject to birth and death is seen as being born and dying creation and destruction that which is ever the subject is seen as an object 
that is ever bliss is seen as suffering so this, this is called poetic justice ha <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Space by its very nature cannot be contained with the powers of the eyes. Yes. I guess where that argument sort of breaks down a little indirectly applying, and if it didn't, it would have been much easier. Is it uh, not an argument? It's an example. Sorry, hmm. example uh, is when we are talking about consciousness experiencing itself, hmm. as was our previous proposition. We are not. We do not have a reason to believe either of them has any less of a power. So in this scale, the eyes are clearly limited in experiencing the space. But we just said that it is consciousness. I mean, the, the proposition is consciousness trying to experience itself. Hmm. Then why would you, you know, why would you tend to think that any of them has a higher or a lesser power? Oh, I never brought in the question of power. You, <coughs> did you notice? Right. First of all, eyes and space is not a question of power. The nature of the eyes is to see. Look, remember the example which the Swami said. The nature of the eyes is to see, hmm. and space is not something that eyes can see. it's not an object of the eyes vishaya nahi hai now the nature of consciousness is to experience remember i did not say not nature is not to experience itself nature is to experience consciousness illumines that's what consciousness does but there is nothing to experience no thing to experience other than itself right. and it it is not an object of experience consciousness is not an object right if there is no object of experience and yet it will experience what will it experience it will experience an error that's a very nice way of putting it i've never seen it in any advaita text mm-hmm. is that swami put it this way but i it appealed to me immediately that idea of a little boy looking up at the sky and seeing a bowl and you are sachidananda you shine forth and see yourself as the universe you the immortal existence see yourself as birth and death change you the pure consciousness pure subject you see yourself as an object you pure bliss you see yourself as suffering and ever hunting for bliss and pleasure which is right what was the example of uh, bringing water without the glass to with the glass okay um that's a good point this story i heard from uh, one swami in the himalayas and swami chinmayananda ji has also written he in fact wrote about it in his uh, reminiscences you know the chinmay mission mm-hmm. so swami chinmayananda um he was the founder of the chinmay mission he was actually a okay this class is going in lots of stories doesn't matter <laughs> let's take our time uh swami chinmayananda he was actually a newspaper reporter and one thing he took up was i'm going to the himalayas to expose these frauds these monks who stay in the himalayas i'm going to expose he ended up being a monk you know <laughs> a very well known uh, monk he found very good teachers uh shivananda saraswati the shivananda yoga which is fa- famous well known in uh, usa and uh, europe so the founder of that system shivananda saraswati was there he started what is called the divine life society mm-hmm. now chinmayananda went and became a disciple of shivananda ji and then he said i want to learn vedanta at its purest non dual vedanta from a traditional master um so shivananda saraswati said okay i will recommend one but it has to be somebody who can teach in hindi because there are others that there were three who were very well known at that time but two of them taught only in the in sanskrit and um, chinmayananda's sanskrit was not strong enough to you know like t- take the whole teaching only in sanskrit so there was one tapovanji 
who taught in Hindi also. He was a great master of Advaita Vedanta. I visited his cottage. I heard this story from his personal sevak. I don't know if he's still alive now, Sundarananda. If you look him up, um, he, he was 84 when I met him. So, anyhow, finally, Chinmayananda came to, uh, he was a brahmachari at that time, a novice. He, he came to uh, Gangotri where Swami, this Tapovan Maharaj, he was teaching Vedanta, a very austere Swami. Um, he always would, he had the strictest conditions. You have to be a monk, of course, to, to be a student. And you have to beg for your food and find your own accommodation, which is very difficult there. It has to be a hut or a cave. In those days, especially, there was no permanent buildings. Very few were there. And there will be two classes in a day. And the classes are also, he teaches. And whatever he has taught, you have to recite it verbatim next day. Otherwise, you are banished for life. <laughs> it nearly happened to Chinmayanji once. Uh, he, he could not re repeat back some verse which was taught in the uh, earlier class. And he was about to be banished uh, when other students interceded on his behalf and... Uh, he, Tapovanji was gracious enough to let him continue. Anyhow, Swami Chinmayanji himself tells this story that one day, and when he was talking about Advaita, and I think they were studying the Mandukya at that time, he had this question that this existence consciousness bliss, this consciousness which we are, this is all in all, this is the only reality. Then why do we need a universe? Why do we need God in particular form? You know, Shiva, Kali, Vishnu. Or why do we at all need, why does this, why is this universe needed at all? This is the question, why is the universe needed at all? And Tapavanji tried to explain it this way and that way, but Chinmayanji was not convinced. One day, while the class was going on, Swami Tapavanji told Chinmayanji, Pani Leo, get, get, a, get, a, get water for me. And Chinmayanji writes that I was surprised because it was cold and normally in the middle of the class, the Swami never asked for water. Anyhow, he went down uh, with a glass and got water from the Ganga, which runs narrow and fast there. He went down to the river, got a glass of water, brought it up. And Tapovan Maharaj was furious with him. What is this? A, um, a glass of water. What did I ask you to bring? Water. What have you got? Glass of water. Did I ask you to bring a glass of water? I asked you to bring water. <laughs> and Chinmanji, because he was, he had, you know, advanced sadhaka, he understood everything. Did like a thunderstruck. He said he stood there. That was the moment of enlightenment. He realized immediately. You can't get water without the glass. You can't do anything at all with pure consciousness without name and form. That is the reason for this universe. It is that very pure consciousness. Like a glass of water, it is pure consciousness as men and women and plants and trees and planets and stars and protons and quarks. All of these are like the glasses in which pure consciousness is held. I don't stretch the paradigm too far. But... This was the moment of opening up his eyes. Why is this at all need? Why does pure consciousness need this? What is the point of it? The point is this. To do anything at all with the transcendent, you must bring it into the relative plane. And the relative plane requires name and form, space, time, causation, and all of it is projected by consciousness. But consciousness cannot be anything other than itself. So even when it projects all of this, it is still consciousness. It has not become a universe. 
even when you experience a separate universe apart from you, you are all of it. But only as consciousness, not as body-mind. Okay. Now let us... Okay, so that's the example of the glass. I had heard it from a monk there in the Himalayas who actually saw that thing happening. <laughs> he bought Swami Chinmayananda to Tapovan Maharaj uh, and told me many interesting stories. And then later I saw Chinmayananda had himself written his, in his reminiscences in a book I read. I met Chinmayanji once, many years ago. I was 10 years old at that time, I think. <laughs> okay. Now let us go on to this. This is the only the first reason. Why is the universe false? Because it is seen. <laughs> People will think it's crazy. You go out of this class and say, the world is false. What do you mean, man? Don't you see it? Yes, because I see it. It's false. <laughs> Now I know, it's false. <laughs> it's like, uh, I read a story about one of the earliest, um, it was, uh, I think Niels Bohr or somebody, was working on quantum mechanics, and he came to some conclusions which Einstein did not agree with. I was reading a reminiscence. And he they would have conversations. I think it was Bohr. He came over here to Princeton, and they were walking down a lane in Princeton and Bohr was trying to explain his point of view and convince uh, Einstein that quantum mechanics is it's correct. At one point, it became clear to Einstein. And at that point, he stood. Unfortunately, it was the middle of a road. And they, they write, <laughs> Niels Bohr writes that, Many cars came to a sudden halt, you know, one by, <laughs> they were rushing down and they had to stop because the lights changed and they, they were standing. Einstein did not move, he was just thunderstruck, he stood there. So, I mean, they are, in, they are in the world of ideas, you know, they are immersed in it. Now let's go on to the second reason. He gives two reasons for the falsity of the world. The second reason is also equally uh, interesting. <coughs> Six, sixth verse. Adavante chayan nasti. Adavante chayan nasti. Vartamane pitattatha. Vartamane pitattatha. Vitathei sadrisha santo. Vitathei sadrisha santo. Avitatha eva lakshita. Avitatha eva lakshita. Which does not exist in the beginning and which does not exist in the end. It does not exist now also, in between. They are unreal. Like all unreal objects, these things are also unreal. But in between, they seem to be real. What is he saying? Things which do not exist in the beginning and which do not exist afterwards. Beginning means before birth, before creation. Afterwards means after death, after destruction. They do not exist. They never were and they never will be after that. In between, they seem to be. At that time, when they seem to be also, Gaurapada says, they are not there. Example, 
This is example, uh, Shankaracharya gives examples, like a mirage water. There was, you did not see any water, then suddenly you see water, later on you realize that water is not there. But then when you realize it's a mirage, you also realize along with that, that when you saw the water, it was still at that time also, it was not water. You don't see water in the beginning, and then you see the water, and then you realize it is not water. And also you realize concurrently that when you are seeing it as water, at that time also it was not water. There was no water there any time. When it did not appear, there was no water. When it appears also, there was no water. Fine, for a mirage. But what about this world? Here is the reason. And it's also as stunning as the first one. What is this thing? It says, anything that, you, that has a beginning and an end is false is an appearance, mithya. In Sanskrit, the reason is anityatvat. The first one was drishyatvat. Because you see it, it is false. Now, because it is temporary, it is false. See, here is an interesting thing. Many people have said to me, Swami, that the world is temporary, transient, has a beginning and end, people are born and die. I know that. And we all know that. That is acceptable. The impermanence of the world is understandable and acceptable. But Advaita seems to go too far and say it is false. It's not there at all. Even when I experience it's not there. Our experience of the world is, yes, things are impermanent. But when we experience them, they are there. These things are there. The people here, the chairs here, table, everything here is here. Right now it's there. True. People are born and they die. Chairs are created and destroyed. No doubt. At one time, none of this was here. At one time, maybe in the far future, none of us will be here, none of this will be here. Right? But right now, at least it is here. This is called impermanence. And this is common sense. All of us know that the world is impermanent. Up to this, we accept. Even the Buddha said, impermanent, impermanent, all is impermanent. Transient, transient, all is transient. Anityam, anityam, sarva manityam. Okay, we can accept that. Gaurapada says, here is the interesting thing, Gaurapada says, do you accept impermanence, that it is so? We will say, yes, but real, when it is there, in between it is real, it is really there. Gaurapada says, wait, I will show you something funny about that, but like a magic trick, but do you accept that things are impermanent, the things of the world, people and the objects and all? Now I will show you that they are also false. If it is impermanent, it must be false. How? How is that? Okay. The, and the reasoning goes like this. Um, the classic example of fire. You know, when you have a hot potato, it is hot. The heat, does it belong to the potato? No. Is it intrinsic to the potato? No. Why? Because it was a cold potato earlier. <laughs> and once you serve it, if you don't eat it up past, it's going to be a cold potato again. In between, it's a hot potato. So, it is, uh, uh, heat does not belong to the potato. So, where did it come from? Clearly, it's there at that time. So, where did it come from? It's borrowed from the boiling water where you boil the potato. So, is the water hot? Is it intrinsically hot? No. It also borrowed its heat. Where did it borrow it from? From the pan. And is the pan intrinsically hot? No. It borrowed it from the fire. Is the fire intrinsically hot? Yes. 
How do you know if fire is intrinsically hot? As long as the fire is burning, it's going to be hot. But the pan is not hot all the time. Before and after, it's not hot. Uh, the water is not hot all the time. Before and after boiling, it's not hot. And the potato is also not hot all the time. Only when you are boiling it and for some time afterwards, it's hot. Now notice something. The ones which borrowed heat, they have got one common characteristic. They gain it and lose it. It does not belong to it. Somebody said, in Manhattan, you can't really discover who's rich. People are so much, they have maxed out their credit cards. They behave like they're rich. <laughs> so, how do you know if they're really rich or not? You have to see whether there's, uh, whether their uh, possessions and cars and places that they're being uh, repossessed by the bank or not. <laughs> are those guys after you or not? So, it's borrowed. Now, one sign of having, a borrow, having borrowed it is you gain it and lose it. You did not have it, got it, and then lost it. In uh, classical Sanskrit um, literature, uh, in philosophy also, it's, there is a figure or, or a, they are called nyayas, bays of expression. Um, like, a, like a, what will you say, an algorithm or an example, let's say, a metaphor or example, something. Um, it's called yajita mandana nyaya. Rich sister and poor sister. And the poor sister wants to go to a party or a fair and she borrows jewels from her rich sister. So she decorates herself with borrowed jewels. So and then she has to return it afterwards. So the jewels are with her only for a particular period of time, showing that they are not really hers. It's borrowed from somebody else. So that's the uh, allusion there. Now, let me ask you a question or Godapada asks the question. Suppose Something borrows existence, does not have existence in and itself, in, 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 in and of itself. It has borrowed existence. How would you know it has borrowed existence? What would you expect? Borrowed heat, cold earlier, cold afterwards. In between, hot. Borrowed existence? It wasn't there before. Yes? Yes? What are you saying? Yes? Well, correct. Comes into heat, uh, into the uh, 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 the, the temp uh, high temperature it gets, and then it goes back to low temperature. Comes into existence and loses existence. That means things are born and destroyed. Things are created, born and they die, created and destroyed. They seem to gain existence and lose existence. That means they they don't have existence in and of themselves. If something like fire, which has heat all throughout, if something has existence intrinsically, what would you expect? Always is there. Not only always is there, it can also lend existence. Like the rich sister, it can lend the jewels to the poor sister. Similarly, the fire can lend heat to other things. This thing is always existing and can lend existence or at least appear to lend existence to other things. Now, Look at all the things of the world. You yourself admitted, remember, you admitted that they are all impermanent. Impermanent definition comes into existence and loses existence. If they come into existence and they lose existence, then they must have borrowed existence from something more fundamental. Again, this is nothing very radical. We know. You say, well, what is so great about it? This building, it has borrowed existence from concrete. 
concrete it is borrowed existence from um, say the earth element so the concrete in the building is or the bricks in the building they were there before the building they are there now and they'll be there after the building in between they are in the form of the building building is has borrowed its existence from the bricks similarly so this universe has borrowed its existence from something more fundamental now here is the trick here is the crucial conclusion remember what i said what is the definition of falsity in the first first study Depend, dependent existence that which depends on something else for its existence is defined as being false right in the earlier one we used the world of objects depends on consciousness for its existence hence false now we are saying this entire universe because it is impermanent it shows it has borrowed existence from something if it has borrowed existence it does not have intrinsic existence of its own it is the very definition of falsity mithyatva then what will it borrow existence from all the way down to is in 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 the classical vedanta way they will say that oh this world take anything this book this body it is borrowed existence from what its constituent elements what are its constituent elements is i uh, say um the cells and uh, the organic material in it further down go for the are they permanent no they are borrowed existence from what ultimately you see it will come down to the five elements according to uh, the classical cosmology earth fire water air um, uh, space so the five elements are they fundamental no they are also names and forms super imposed upon brahman by maya so ultimately they have borrowed existence from brahman has brahman got its intrinsic existence yes why because what is brahman existence itself sat it cannot not exist like fire it cannot not be hot by definition it is hot similarly brahman is existence itself it is sat so it is eternally existing if you ask the question from point of view of time not only that it can lend existence like fire can lend heat it can lend or it can make other things appear to exist what does it make uh, appear to exist the five elements and the combinations of the five elements are the entire universe which you see at the root of this at the root of this entire universe are the five elements at the root of the five elements is maya at the root of maya is brahman once bertrand russell he was giving a talk public talk on the latest discoveries in cosmology the fundamental uh, building blocks of the universe and one old lady got up and said uh, she it's it, i don't know if the story is true but it's a famous story she got up and said whatever you have said is rubbish what do you mean universe is not made of these things what you're talking about everybody knows that the world is balanced on a turtle <laughs> the old story of a turtle and then bertrand russell said um, with a you know superior smile well madam then what is the turtle standing on and she smiled and said ah you think you're clever young man but it's turtles all the way down <laughs> <laughs> turtle after turtle after turtle <laughs> well all the turtles are standing on brahman <laughs> and what is brahman standing on well brahman is a super turtle it doesn't have to stand on itself it stands on it, it on anything else it stands on it still because it is existence itself 
it doesn't depend on anything for its existence everything else depends on it for existence and therefore uh, everything is false except brahman why is everything false everything every object it depends it borrows existence from brahman that's why the world seems to exist because it borrows existence from brahman now this is not just advaita vedanta in indirect ways in little more um through stories and allegories every religion of the world including the theistic religions they have come to this understanding what is god according to them one characteristic they will say god is that which lends existence to everything how it does it advaita gives you in such a philosophical and clear way the theistic religions cannot really express they express it through mystical language allegorical language through stories dvaita vedanta which is just the opposite of advaita vedanta madhvas dvaita vedanta there one important thing they say they say narayana or vishnu is the ultimate reality brahman personal god and the path is devotional what one characteristic very interesting they say that they have a thing that vishnu or narayana alone has independent existence they'll say everything else has dependent existence if you force the issue a little further it will collapse back into advaita <laughs> but uh, they will not say that but they say one characteristic of god is or brahman is that it has independent existence everything else's existence depends on that brahman anyway only there's a blue boy beyond advaita yes <laughs> all right so this is the great uh, second example there's a second reason drishyatvat first reason anityatvat so what is the second reason reason for what reason for falsity of the universe the second reason is because things are impermanent are things impermanent yes that's a thing which we everybody agrees things are impermanent if things are impermanent they tend to gain and lose existence if things are gaining and losing existence it means they do not have intrinsic existence that not having intrinsic existence itself is the definition of falsity so things are false it also points to something which is lending existence to everything and that thing which is lending existence to everything what else could it be the most general case existence itself pure being sat the first first reason drishyatvat because it is experienced as an object it leads to chit pure consciousness brahman as chit the second reason because it is impermanent it leads to brahman as sat so two two causes gaudapada has provided here for the for his argument for the falsity of the world yes yes is that true or is it false <laughs> is that true or false yes in 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 the system of propositions which you call arithmetic it is true you will ask that uh, so you what will be the next thing then then you have admitted there are two truths brahman and 2 plus 2 is equal to 4 no think about it this way 2 plus 2 4 is it something you experience or is it something that is experiencing you you experience right 2 plus 2 4 is a mathematical truth which which is experienced by you in your awareness which is understood by you conceived by you in your awareness rather in your mind in your intellect and that intellect itself appears in your consciousness right 
So the intellect and its contents, 2 plus 2, 4, the mathematical truths, they are all ultimately dependent on consciousness. Without consciousness, there is no question of anything. In that case, from the perspective of consciousness, they are false. We are not saying 2 plus 2, 4 is not equal to 4. In the game which is being played, suppose you say that um, Dumbledore is the teacher of Harry Potter. True or false? If you say, no, no, it's false. You say, oh, he's not the teacher of Harry Potter. That's what you're saying. Somebody else is the teacher of Harry Potter. No, what you mean is, it's fiction. But within the fictional world of Harry Potter, it is true. It's a true fact. Within the game you call mathematics, 2 plus 2 is 4. Correct. I'm not even saying that there is another world where 2 plus 2 is not 4. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that 2 plus 2, 4, that whole thing, all of mathematics and its truths, they have uh, a dependence on consciousness for their very existence. Even whether you are deciding it is true or false, it depends on consciousness. You see, you have just given an example of mathematical truth, but take a common sense truth. You are seeing me. Is this true or false? It is true from the perspective of you, the person, deploying an instrument of knowledge called Pratyaksha and seeing an objective object of knowledge. You say, I see you, I do, do not see an elephant. If I say, I see an elephant, it's a false statement. I see you, it's a true statement. But what does Advait have to say about this? She's perfectly all right. Within the game you call Pramana Prameya Vivahara, uh, using uh, the game of epistemology. But the whole thing depends on consciousness. So the whole thing is a dependent reality. Without Sat, it does not exist. Without Chit, it is not revealed to you. To use your mind and eyes to see me and come to the conclusion, here is Swami. To see your, use your mind and uh, eyes and see that there is no elephant. To say that here is an elephant would be a false statement. This difference of truth and falsity. All this is possible because of you, the consciousness. That is exactly what Advaita is saying. All this is false. Means it is a dependent reality. Within the dream, you could say, Gaudapada, this is my analysis, but Gaudapada's answer would be even simpler. He would say, this very thing you could say in a dream also. Right? And uh, it would be tr true within the parameters of the dream. But outside the parameters of the dream, you would say that, no, it was I dreamt it all up. It was not there. You might say mathematical truths are true. Uh, in dreams also and in waking also true but they are also mathematical truths also depend upon the consciousness for their very existence for their very understandability for their conception for their deployment they all depend upon consciousness that's what Advaita means by being false dependent reality or dependent existence yeah yeah, in a slightly different way, in Indian philosophy, those who attack Advaita, they ask this question. The existence of anything is proved by means of knowledge. Uh, means of knowledge, you see it, you hear it, you smell it, you taste it, touch it, you infer it through logic. You use mathematics, physics, any kind of system of knowledge. Then you know something, right? By means of knowledge, things are known. Okay. By what means of knowledge is Brahman known? 
it, it you, you can you cannot say it is known by any means of knowledge because it's not an object for any means of knowledge and if you admit that it is not known by any means of knowledge then you cannot speak about brahman itself then your whole advaita falls to the ground on what basis are you it's a fairy tale then hmm? it's a fairy tale then if it is not an object of any of the means of knowledge then you don't know it why talk about it if it is an object of the means of knowledge, tell me what by what means of knowledge is Brahman known. And even you need not tell me. If you, the moment you admit it's an object of the means of knowledge, then it, Brahman becomes an object, a thing. You yourself say it's not an object. What will you answer to this question? This is basically what you're asking in a, in, a, in a very very deep sense. In a very general sense, the problem is posed. The answer is exactly what I gave you. The answer is this. Brahman is not proved by the means of knowledge rather this is a stunning answer all the means of knowledge depend on brahman for their existence and operation because you are existence and consciousness therefore you can see hear smell touch think understand remember forget all of it depends on the fact that you are this sat and chit then you use these means of knowledge to prove other things in the world like 2 plus 2 is 4. But the whole thing depends on you as existence consciousness, please. Yeah. Shanti, yes. the scientist doesn't believe uh, Brahman consciousness. She is still annoyed with and this one. No, I have to, I have to, I have to rub, it, rub it out. My question is that the Ramanu's theory of mathematics, huh. do you think because they don't believe in consciousness, they can't cross that the introspective? Uh, intuition of that. No, it's not that scientists do not believe in consciousness. They, they are creating only depend on object. Object they de- deny subject. And it is if you deny subject rationality, reason is missing a little bit. No. And how inference and thing abstract is mixed up. No, they are not denying um, consciousness as such. What they are saying is consciousness is produced by matter. There is no such thing as, it's not a fundamental thing, it's produced by your brain activities. Most scientists, there are scientists who actually deny consciousness. <laughs> There's, for example, the philosopher Churchland, I think Patrick Churchland, he says consciousness is an illusion. I, sometimes I feel, is, he, is consciousness, a, is he a zombie or something? <laughs> yes. All objects are, 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 are products of Maya. Yeah. You're not saying anything new. Everybody in India for thousands of years, you know, sub Maya hai. <laughs> but now you understand the philosophy behind it. And the the thing, everything is Maya. Every um, person for last thousand, two thousand years in India, they'll say sub Maya hai. But but now you understand. We are also saying the same thing today. But you now understand the philosophical machinery behind this whole thing. Yes. Swami, you just said that. Brahman is not the object of knowledge. No, right? no, of course, no, no. you have you explained that very well. Uh, and before that, you said so. How does one, you know, how does one? No, Brahman. No, Brahman. Uh, isn't it that by removing exactly the process that you're taking us through, seeing the falsity of the world, seeing that you know, uh, removing that ignorance, that dependence on this external world, that there will come a time when you know all of that kind of will be removed and somehow we'll just be at that stage or state that you know a life absolutely right off. correct 
thank you for saying this absolutely right this whole thing which we are trying to do prove the falsity of the world it's not a just a neat logical exercise it's a spiritual practice many people think this dry philosophy many people object to it falsity of the world no 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 people will lose all motive for zest for living no this is a deep spiritual practice it is not the highest spiritual practice it is just one step away from enlightenment one swami taught this uh, not i didn't hear it directly i read it in one of the books in hindi but it goes like this falsity of the world jagat mithyatva falsity of the world what is the point of this teaching and what good does it do he says vedantins the students of vedanta he would say kacche vedantin that the those who are um novices beginners children in vedanta they don't understand the deeper meaning of the falsity of the world usually the way it is taught in vedanta is the falsity of the world is very powerful for increasing vairagya dispassion for the world and it is true but this is not the real purpose but i'll tell you why, why it is true moment you begin to even sense the falsity of the world you'll immediately lose interest in it temporariness of the world will not create vairagya it's very interesting who does not know the world is temporary i know the cookie is temporary does it remove my greed for the cookie no <coughs> makes no difference i'm glad that the cookie is temporary an eternal cookie would be a problem <laughs> for me it's enough if it lasts for a few seconds on my tongue and gives me the nice sensation of a of um, uh, of an oreo or something like that so the temporariness itself does not remove our attraction for the world it does not it should but it does not falsity immediately removes our attraction for the world you don't have to be a philosopher even a child who gets the sense of falsity will lose attraction for it i have given the example earlier also when i first saw i remember vividly first saw or the only time in fact i saw a three dimensional movie when i was a kid in india i had to put plastic glasses on and you would see so one scene was there where the king or something was being offered a dish of indian sweets you know laddu and all of that was and the way it was offered the special effect was it would come and ho- hover in front of your nose and all the kids in the hall they were they were laughing and giggling and they were like you know doing swiping like this trying to get hold of it but all in fun because they knew it's not really there they were not frustrated that they couldn't catch hold of it they were startled and they were enjoying it that here is apparently a plate of delicious sweets but i can't get hold of it if it was really there and somebody got it and i didn't get it then the, then i would be unhappy somebody who got it would be delighted then it samsara starts with it but the moment it is seen to be false the only thing that can come out of it is delight it's movie if it was seen to be real even temporary then it's tragedy then it's samsara it's horrible genocide and war and natural disaster nobody would think of this as fun except when it's hollywood then the worst of horror movies and uh, disaster movies you give oscars the worse it is the more terrible the tragedy and more realistically it's depicted the more oscars you will give 
वन कंडीशन दो वन कंडीशन दो वट इज द कंडीशन इट हैज टू बी फॉल्स नो एनिमल्स वेर हर्ट इन दिस दैट हैज टू बी देर अदरवाइज द डायरेक्टर विल एंड अप इन जेल प्रोड्यूसर विल एंड अप इन जेल अंटिल दैट पॉइंट वी एंजॉय इट ओनली वन कंडीशन इट हैज टू बी फॉल्स सो फॉल्सिटी क्रिएट्स वैराग्य एंड अलाउज अस टू एंजॉय दिस यूनिवर्स विदाउट एनी काइंड ऑफ पुल टू इट एनी काइंड ऑफ ड्रैग एनी काइंड ऑफ बाइट टू इट so definitely when advaitin say falsity creates it strengthens vairagya dispassion for the universe it creates this uh, you can relax you can let go you need not be so terrified or so anxious in this universe but the swami said that is only children in vedanta they say this kacche that means those who are not ripe they are not mature in vedanta immature vedanta they say this the mature vedantins the deeper the, the well versed vedanti the masters know a deeper reason for falsity what is the deeper reason for falsity and that's a stunning reason for falsity the deeper reason there's a spiritual implication of falsity is this when you say the snake is false and the rope is real let me ask you a question where is the real rope where is the real rope you see this is a snake false snake it is really a rope now if i ask you where is the rope then where is it right there the rope is right there right what false snake means the real rope is misunderstood misperceived misconceived as a false snake it is that very thing which you are perceiving as a snake is actually a real rope similarly that's the meaning of the falsity of the snake the meaning of the falsity of the world is that very thing you are seeking brahman the absolute god bliss freedom moksha nirvana what you are seeking is right here right now this very thing it is tearing at you in the face we don't see we don't have eyes to see that is the meaning of the falsity of the world think about it those philosophies and religions which say world is real they don't know what they are saying they are destroying their whole religion the very ground of their religion they are destroying religion they are distancing you from god and they are destroying god itself why the moment you say this is a real world you are clearly saying this is not god if it is real then this cannot be god if it's real impurity real death real suffering real tragedy real guilt and horror how can it be god what kind of god of a god would it be god is pure good wonderful but then god must be separate so where is god not here there so you have heaven not now after death not here not now not this so you have distanced yourself from god you have separated god from yourself by space heaven and earth you have separated god from yourself by time now and after death and you have separated god from yourself by object all these things are earthly and myself and god is heavenly and other 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 god is the divine other it's a good way of starting but you can see the the terrible implications of that if nobody thinks about it and advaitins are too gentle to point it out not always <laughs> if provoked they will point it out it's a theistic religion it's a mess 
you will you are not, may not have noticed in one place vivekananda he uses the harshest terms for dualism he is talking about vedanta dualistic theory in qualified monism and advaita in that place when he makes the transition he describes dualistic religion beautifully and then when he makes the transition to advaita he says but i cannot stay with falsity anymore we must go on he calls it a lie it's a useful lie it's a fiction it's a stepping stone but it cannot be the end and it is true in all the theistic religions of the world you will find mystical traditions within which actually point to the truth but they are seen as possession of a very few people mystics experts esoteric sometimes they are persecuted they are killed and you know that so this i come to you so you have distanced yourself from god but this is not the least of it the next horror is this you have killed god how if this is not god god is something else then god is limited there is something real in the universe which is not god god is limited in time space and object this time is not god this space is not god this object is not god hence and it is real it's not an appearance in that case your god is a limited god in sanskrit parichinnam and in sanskrit and in vedanta limitation and falsity they are linked everything that is limited by time space and object is false you have made god false <laughs> anyway uh, yes the second step of the advaita vedanta also says that everything is real because everything is brahman ha but remember there everything is uh, <coughs> within quotes because things are not there brahman alone is there that's why yeah everything in this universe is real as brahman so even in the highest of dual dual like because maybe they also see in everything right krishna see in every dualistic religion ultimately the final realization and so dasharath ka beta ghat ghat mein leta the son of dasharath ramchandra is found in every entity in the universe how can one man even a god or incarnation be found in every entity in the universe yes it can be because only in this advaitic sense mirabai sees krishna everywhere so mystics ultimately when they actually realize they find the same ultimately the when the realization is at the peak the final full blown realization they will realize god in everything then you come to advaita only but through a different path through a path of devotion um all right so today we'll we'll stop here we had a long discussion i thought i would make four or five karikas <laughs> but it's good these two karikas are fundamentally important you know what will happen after this um the opponents will come up with uh, objections that you are trying to equate dream and waking so dream and waking are not the same waking is real dream is false why four objections will come up and we'll see how godapada deals with them uh, one is the objection of utility you have you earn some money in a dream you can't spend it now somebody gives you a gift card in a dream and you go to a shop and say i'm going to buy all these things where is the gift card it's in the dream you can't use it <laughs> so dream is false and waking is real somebody gives you a gift card in the waking you can use it and buy things so things which are real have utility things which are false do not have utility one argument i think by now you are experts you can cut down that argument easily the s- second argument is subtle 
things which are imagined in the mind are false things which are actually out there are real again you can cut it down <laughs> just use the dream example <laughs> and then the, uh, another one was oh dreams are also real in one sense that there's an answer <laughs> a peculiar argument you'll see <laughs> because um, uh, because you are saying that dreams are all things which have we have experienced in the waking world and then reconstituted in a dream um, but no sometimes in dreams you see unique things which you never saw in the waking world so where did you where did those things come from so dreams must be real because of unique experiences in dream so things like that uh, four arguments will come up and those we will see they will be cut down very good om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupanam astu